So many things demand our attention and require our energy. Every day, it seems to be so easy to get lost in the busyness of life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Somebody's got to handle all the things, as my wife says. <laughs> she says it more like, somebody's got to do all the things. Um, well, truly, there are lots of little details. Hundreds of small and big decisions awaiting us all the time. Do you remember the story of Jesus' visit with Martha and her sister Mary? Martha is frantically making sure every candle is lit and all the food is replenished and the carpet's been vacuumed. I don't know if they had carpet. Uh, but Mary sat at the Lord's feet, just soaking in every word, just being with Jesus. Martha was frantic. Mary is focused. It's um, easy, isn't it, to get busy in the Martha moments that we never really find our place with Mary kneeling at Jesus' feet. I find myself there a lot. I say, Lord, Lord, I pray just let me do these few things. And after those few things, there's a few more things. Then there's a few more things. And even when we do finally come to a time of prayer, it seems that our merry moment is consumed with Martha worries. It seems to be an inescapable pattern. So my hope in this sermon series is to break the patterns, to pull us upward. It's the reason we've called it Pray Big. Is to lift our eyes beyond the worries of the day and to do, as Jesus said, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So if the Lord wills, we'll have four messages in this series. I want to talk about the person of prayer. So today we're talking about to whom do we pray? In the next three weeks, we'll do the purpose of prayer, the problems of prayer and the power of prayer. You don't want to miss any of this. Jesus said that apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. nothing. John 15, verse 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, prayer is the action that proves you believe that. If you think you can handle it, you won't pray. But if you know that without him you can do nothing, then you learn to abide and you give time to the merry moments to be with Jesus. I don't want to suggest that prayer is only a means for getting stuff or a means for accomplishing big things. In fact, I would say that prayer is mainly not about that. Prayer is mainly about getting God. It's mainly about being with Christ and enjoying His presence. 
I was thinking this week that prayer may be a bit like a, a like a wonderfully written novel. Who's who's my readers in the room? Who reads like like I'm talking read like you love to get a good book, sit by the pool, read a novel. You know, you're by the pool. I would like to be in it, but you'd rather read a book, right? I'm talking about readers. All right. A wonderfully written novel, you're invited into another world. Isn't it amazing how that happens? Before you know it, you're deeply involved in the drama as it unfolds. And somehow you've disconnected from the craziness of this actual reality. We live here. In the everyday mundane of life, we wake up, we go to school or work, we see people, we do our thing, we come home, we go to bed, and it starts all over again. But prayer is like the magical wardrobe that leads us into the Narnia of the spiritual realm. Where our eyes begin to be open to see what God is actually doing in the mundane. And our hearts are drawn to this lion king and his kingdom. Prayer is the opportunity to be a part of the real world. So today I want to focus on the God to whom we pray. Who is he? How should we relate to him? What what kinds of things should we pray when we pray? And for that, I want you to look with me at Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11. These gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, uh, record the most famous prayer of all time. And we're not going to spend all of our time here, but... um, The disciples have asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And obviously... They've seen something in Christ they greatly admire. They'd seen him and heard him pray a lot. He would slip off to be by himself all the time. These disciples, they knew the memorized prayers, the the traditional memory prayers that, you know, you wake up and pray, you pray before meals, you pray at bedtime, you pray during the day. They knew the memorized prayers, but obviously they saw that Jesus prayed differently. His prayer was personal. His prayer life was powerful. Oh, don't you want to have a personal and powerful prayer life? I do. So would you read with me? We're going to read from Matthew's gospel in particular. So just put your finger from finger in Luke's. Gospel, but Matthew's Gospel. When we get to the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, I'd invite you to just to read aloud with me. You may want to use the screen for that. But um, would you stand with me as we read Matthew chapter 6? I feel like. Does it feel dark in here? Is there a little bit more light we can bring up on the can lights? Or maybe it's just me. Okay. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Jesus teaching. He says, and when you pray. 
You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Let's read this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You guys have it from memory, but that's not actually here. For thine is the kingdom, power, and glory forever and ever. That's good. Keep reading, though. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Pause for a moment. Skip across the page, maybe, and go to verse 25. And just listen. I want you to see um, all of this, if you have the red letter Bible, is in red because it's one teaching. So there's not a break. This is one big sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is teaching this idea, this concept. And so as we read this next section about not being anxious... I don't want us to mentally disconnect it from prayer. It's the same preaching. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you. Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please teach us to pray. We want to want To pray. Open our eyes to the privilege 
and the power of prayer. God of all glory, please make us a praying people, a people that live in the everyday mundane of life with our hearts in the eternal. Lord, I need you to do this in my life. Would you make us a praying church? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jesus starts in on this teaching about prayer with a few simple how-to, how-not-to teachings. How-not-to, he says, don't pray to be seen by others. Matthew 6, 5, he does some teaching here about reward. He says, these guys, all they want is the attention and affection, the, the accolade of men. Don't go for that. Your real reward is not the praise of men, it's the presence of God. So Jesus teaches and says, don't pray to be seen by others. Then he says, don't pray to be uh, as a performance for God. I mean, you think about that, that's pretty silly, right? He he says, "Don't, don't, don't, don't heap up empty words and empty phrases and pile them on just so that you may be heard. That's ridiculous. He says, your father already knows what you need. So the idea here is be genuine when you pray. Be real. It's not a performance. It's not a show. Just be real. Your father already knows. Then he gives us a model for prayer. And the last part of this chapter talks a lot about anxiety. Jesus says three separate times, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. This is not a new subject. So connect the dots, church. Jesus has not moved on from prayer. He's showing us what prayer is for. Prayer is the way to have a merry heart in a Martha world. Take your Bible. Flip over with me now, if you will, to Luke chapter 11. And I want to show you that I'm not just incidentally connecting the Mary Martha story. Luke chapter 11. In your Bible, what's the subheading, the title over Luke 11? What is it? The Lord's Prayer. Look right above that in chapter 10. What's the story right before it? Yeah. Martha is distracted with much serving. And Mary is pressing into her relationship with Jesus. And it's right after that that Luke tells us that Jesus taught them to pray. We notice that the model prayer is taught right after the story. Of Martha and Mary. And here's what I want you to take away here. Jesus is showing us that prayer is the path from anxiety to peace. Prayer is the path from anxiety to peace. When Jesus tells us to not be anxious, he doesn't say that the daily concerns are of no importance. He just says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. That's our higher priority. And with that eternal focus, the earthly issues are promised to be handled. The father's got it, is what he says. 
The worries of the day, they don't go away. But in prayer, listen, in prayer, the yoke is now in place. Do you know what I mean when I say yoke? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. Jesus said that, Matthew 11. In prayer, we are yoked to the best, the kindest, the wisest, the hardest working, most peaceful king. He knows how to plow a straight path and he will pull you along in the labor. What seemed like such a heavy load through prayer is suddenly so much lighter. Jesus gives rest. So to whom do we pray? I want us to dwell on two main ideas about God today. To whom do we pray? We pray to our Father. Our Father. Jesus uses the word Father here. It's a fairly new way of talking about God. These Jews were accustomed to praying to the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. But Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I want you to pray to your father. When you pray, pray like this, our father. There's a lot of depth and richness in that title, that name, isn't there? And here's what we learn. We learn that he cares. When... um, Riley was born, my first daughter. I remember all the nerves and anxiety of the hospital and the fear of what's going to happen. And, and looking around and like, there's no, you know, there's nobody there to help me. It's just me. And, and then thinking, you know, to my young wife that I'm, I'm the husband here. I've got to be strong and confident. So I'm like, you got this, babe. We got this. It's going to be all good. And inside I'm like, oh, my word, what's happening I'm so scared. I'm I'm afraid, but I'm feeling the pressure of being husband. And within a matter of moments, something else hit me. A heavier, delightful weight. They handed me this little six-pound baby. And I suddenly felt a weight of love Unlike anything I've ever known before. Some of you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) The father cares. I reluctantly handed that child back to the nurse and then I hovered over her while she bathed her off. You know, I was like, you're being a little rough. (laughs) Take it easy on my baby. When anybody else wanted to hold her, I would give them a a three-part sermon on how to keep her neck straight, you know, don't let that head bobble. But we don't want a bobblehead baby. You hold that neck. Um, I remember in the hospital especially, just laying awake, I pulled that little rolling bassinet over near the tiny couch I was sleeping on. 
and I would just listen to her breathe. Just to be sure, you know. Why does a father do these things? Because he cares. And Jesus is teaching us that when we pray, don't lose sight of the fatherhood of God. He cares. He is personal. Listen to how he explains. Jesus says he knows what you need. You don't have to heap up empty phrases. He already knows. But pray anyway. In chapter 6, verse 32, after all the things, Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows. The point Jesus is making is that He knows and He cares. He made that point repeatedly when He said He takes care of the birds. He takes care of the lilies of the field. He even takes care of the grass that is here today and burned tomorrow. If He takes care of these things, how much more will He care for you? Listen. Your father knows your financial struggles. He knows your fears about your health. He knows your desire for children. He knows you want to be married. He knows some of you don't want to be married. (laughs) You shouldn't say amen here. That's not a spot for amen. It's not just that he knows, though. You know, we know he knows all things. This is a different kind of knowing. When Jesus says your heavenly father knows, it's not just that he knows information. It's that he bears the weight of love for you. This one to whom we pray, he knows and he cares. How miserable would prayer be if God knew your heart but didn't care about it? Oh, but he cares. Jesus tells us to call him Father. And if we keep reading through the sermon, we get in Matthew 7 and verses 7 through 11. And he says, keep asking, keep keep seeking, keep knocking. This is a call to persistent prayer, right? Keep on praying. Why? Why does Jesus encourage persistence in prayer? How does he justify this kind of persistence? He says, well, which of you fathers, when your children ask for bread, give him a rock? Or when your child asks for a fish, give him a snake? And then Jesus makes this contrast. He says, if you evil fathers know how to give a good gift, How much more the good, perfect father who truly cares. When you pray, you pray, our father. And really press into the fact that he cares for you. Secondly, we pray to the father in heaven. In heaven. Now listen, it might make you feel good to bare your soul to a person who cares. 
But how miserable would prayer be? Not just miserable, but meaningless would prayer be if we pray to a person who sympathizes, he cares, but he can't help you. When we pray our Father in heaven, what Jesus is teaching is not just that he cares, he's teaching that he can. He can. In chapter 5, verse 34, we learn that when Jesus uses this expression about heaven, what he means is the throne of God. Jesus is telling him not to swear by heaven or earth, for it's a footstool by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And in verse 34, he says, Don't swear by heaven. For it is the throne of God. The picture here is of a king on his throne. Now listen, this is a beautiful combination. We pray to God as our father in heaven. So he's personal and he's powerful. He cares and he can. Psalm 47, verse 8. God sits on His holy throne. Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. We could continue on. There's many more. But prayer is two declarations. Listen. When you pray, it's a declaration of dependence. Isn't it? You bow your knees and you say, Lord, I cannot, right? I need you. We declare our dependence in prayer, but we simultaneously proclaim his power in prayer. We bow our knee because he sits on a throne. We come before him in our need because he is able he cares and he can. There is nothing this God cannot do. He is more than able to do more than you could ever imagine. What would be the point of praying to a God who could not do it? Now ask yourself what does your prayer life say? About your confidence in God's power. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Him with big things? Do you ask God for big things? If prayer is a simultaneous declaration of our dependence, our need, and His power, then shouldn't we come to God with requests that are worthy of His power? In the model prayer, Jesus deals with big things, right? Our Father who art in heaven, listen, this is big, it's majestic, it's great. Your name, let your name be hallowed. Hallowed be your name. Listen to this bigness, your kingdom come, right? Big prayer. Your will be done. 
Praying big, right? Who can answer prayers like this? Only the King of Heaven. Only the High King of Heaven. When we pray this way, this is how we walk through the wardrobe into a world where the King is on His throne. This is how we come into His realm of rule. And we get glimpses of what He's doing. But this model prayer not only deals with big things, also small things, earthly things, everyday things, Martha things. Listen, Jesus says, not only pray, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. But he says this, pray for daily bread. Pray for your relationship problems. Like you got people mad at you. Y'all need to forgive each other. He says, pray for the temptations you struggle with every day. Pray for your, your battle with sin, that you'll be faithful in the midst of temptation. This is everyday Martha stuff, isn't it? Small stuff. These are concerns that matter. They seem to be too small to take to the King of glory. It seemed like my argument with my friend and we're, un, we're not forgiving each other is just a little small to bring before God the, on His throne in glory, the King of all the world. Unless, unless He's your Father. These are issues you'd call your dad about, right? Dad, I really need to be able to get some food for the family today. Can you, can you help me provide? Dad, I'm, I'm really mad at him. I, I don't want to forgive him. I don't want to let it go. He deserves it. But now I remember how you've forgiven me so much. So help me, Lord, forgive. Father, I'm so tempted to stretch the truth, to make myself look better every day. I'm, I'm tempted to look at other women. I'm tempted and addicted to buying stuff, thinking more stuff is going to make me happy. I'm, I'm tempted to try to be something. Father, please deliver me from these temptations. I, I'm not enough and I need you. Think about it. Food, forgiveness, faithfulness. These are small stuff. But we have a father who cares. And he's a father in heaven who can. He is personal. He is powerful. He's both high and will come low. He's a king and we'll meet with a broken sinner in prayer. Aren't you glad? Listen to Isaiah. I don't know if we can put Isaiah 57 on the screen, but I want you to see these words. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place. And also. And also, and also 
with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. He's high and holy and also with us. Are you able to call out to God like this? Can you truly call him father? Can you? John chapter 1 verse 12 says to all who receive him, who believe on Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Children. Galatians 4 verses 4 through 7 says that God's adopting us into his family. We who were slaves of sin are now sons of the king. To call God Father, you must be saved by the Son of God. Listen, I'm finishing right here, but I want you really to listen in. God so loved you. He so loved you in your brokenness and in your sin that He sent His only Son. That whoever believes on Him might not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus didn't come to condemn you, but that through him you might be saved. All of us sinners are condemned already, but through him, Jesus takes our condemnation and gives to us his righteousness. He took our sin to his cross. And then he proved his power over sin, over death, over hell, over the grave. He resurrected from the dead. And now he sits on his throne at the right hand of the father. Jesus is reigning today. And he will reign forever. The question is, is he ruling in your life right now? When we pray, your kingdom come, we must at least mean in my own heart. You're the king here, Lord. Not me. I don't call the shots. You're master. And I surrender to your kingdom in my life. Your will be done in my life. We must at least mean that first. So the question, one question is this. Have you truly surrendered your life to King Jesus? If you haven't, you can do that today. The church, brothers and sisters in Christ, are you praying like you have a father who cares and a king who can? Very simple message today. Let's give ourselves to prayer this week. Listen to Jesus. Don't be anxious about all the Martha things. Lift up your heart and seek first the kingdom. Let's pray big. To whom do we pray? Church, to whom do we pray? Our Father in heaven.